Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hello, legends, and welcome back to another episode of Reclaim Me. Today, we're going to be getting stuck into part two of the conversation that we had with Jared. If you haven't already listened to part one, please go back and listen to that first as we do dive straight into the conversation. So let's just do that right now. Yeah. And it doesn't sometimes matter how much evidence you have, like, one of yeah. the one of the women I've had on Brianna was uh, a like she is a black woman in Georgia, and yeah. there was an attempted murder against her. They had his DNA on her. They eventually found him, and they found him not guilty. And it's like, how much evidence can you have sometimes? And I think that they'd said to her that even though she went to hospital with horrific, horrific injuries, they had basically said that she consented to it, and it was like. And then there was the reasonable doubt that comes in because they can yeah. state that it was consensual. That's why the DNA was there. And it's like, it's so stacked against you. And, you know, for her being a black woman in the state of Georgia, did that play into what you don't know? There's so many things. And, you know, I think we really specifically for sexually based crimes need to rethink the the jury system because there is no way that a jury can remain impartial. And there's no way that every jury will have the same standard of reasonable doubt amongst them. Yeah. Like you don't know the background of any of those people. If two of the people on that, you know, jury were sex offenders, you, they may, they might not have been caught. Most of them haven't been. Yeah. If if anyone on there was a survivor that's never come forward themselves, you know, you've already got an unknown level of people with a predisposition, and yeah. it's not it's not a fair system for for the victims trying to get any form of justice. Yeah, and if anyone's a known survivor, like there's. I like to think that I would excuse myself if I got caught up for jury duty and it was a child abuse case, but I might not. You know what I mean? Because I might like sit it out just so I can make sure the person goes to jail. Yeah. Which Same. like obviously, you know, <laughs> I'm probably protected for myself because my name's out there enough that people would cotton on. But, you know, I like I I I, I think I can sit on any kind of case you know, fraud, murder, whatever, but I couldn't sit on a sexual violence case because I would be like, the fact that it got here means they're guilty. <laughs> like, I, I, th- I don't think that's what people realise. Like, it's to get there is so difficult that for me the, that that's enough evidence that they're guilty, but they, then you still have to go through this system. And, I, yeah, like I said, I don't know how you change it, but it's just so unevenly stacked. A hundred percent. And, you know, it just takes somebody with some predisposition or somebody, you know, acting in some wrong way. And we've just had, you know, the Brittany Higgins um, trial against um, Bruce Lemon that yeah. it's 
devastating to hear the jury misconduct. And it's just like, but we, we, we just caught that. Do you know what I mean? Like if that hadn't have been caught, then there might've been a different outcome. Yeah. And it's just terrifying. I don't know. I, I saw a TikTok the other day and I thought it was really interesting. Um, the, like thought process. It was this guy, he was very funny. And he was just like, basically going, I don't want Sandra from Baskin Robbins to like be making a decision about whether I'm guilty of murder. <laughs> like, But yeah. he was so true. It's just like, these are people with no law background. They have no understanding of what's going on. And then he put forward a theory, like maybe we should have people who are trained to be jurors. I was like, that's not the worst idea. Like, at least it's putting something else up there as a different yeah. option. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have a lot of them though. That's the thing. Mm. Because if you're gonna, if you're gonna, you know, like a judge is held to a very high standard. And I think jurors are as well, but in a different way. And it's because they're our peers. And so to have enough people to to like clear discrimination you'd have to have this really clear cross-section of the population you'd it's an interesting theory I like it it makes you think like if you were to do like a pilot like over 10 years of a certain subsection of crimes with a certain population yeah and you were to train them to be unbiased and stuff like that I don't know you can train people out of different things and you can train people in certain aspects of law it would yeah. be interesting. Like I'm not saying change the law and make it that, but, you know, it would be interesting to see it at least another approach happen in theory because the justice system has not changed for centuries. And, yeah. you know, across the world we're having the same problem where less than 1% of sexually based offences are going through the system and being found guilty. And that's not an accurate representation of the guilty people that are committing these crimes. It's not. Yeah. I mean, I probably should know this, but I wonder what the statistics are for other crimes. Yeah, that's a good question. I thought they're much higher. Well, yeah, you know, I think maybe we could have a look at that afterwards because it's just, you know, if you've got, you know, evidence of different types of crimes like fingerprints and stuff like that, if it's a a theft, it's almost just like, yeah, but you you were there, that's fine. But then you've just got this word against another's word about what the purpose of their being there was. And, you know, sadly, it's just, it's very difficult to prove otherwise. And I don't, yeah, I just, I applaud you for even taking it that far. And, I, you know, it's it's worth saying, and I'm glad that you said that you had a great experience, or not great, but a good experience with the police. So many people have not had that. Um, yeah. And I think it's really worth highlighting and saying, you know, we had Sarah Mo on this episode, on this podcast um, a couple of months ago. Uh, she's a victim survivor from uh, the UK and she got a conviction over 40 years later. And yeah. I think it's incredible to say no matter how much time has passed, if going and even talking to a, the police is something that you're interested in doing, it just it doesn't mean that because you don't have DNA that you can't proceed with something. Yeah, and in like in the work I've done with um, Samson, so on this peer support line I've been doing, um, you know, two nights a month, so not too much. Two nights a month I make two phone calls to two survivors. Um, and then it's Samson's Survivors and Mate Support Network. It's specifically set up for men. Um, so there's two male survivors. Um, you know, the first guy I spoke to was 80. Wow. Um, the youngest guy I've spoken to was 18. Um, and that that call should have lasted 45 minutes, but he was not. It lasted 30 seconds or something. He wasn't in a place to to deal with it. But um, even though he'd booked the call, and that's totally like you know, it's about what's right for them. But it's interesting. I know people have had bad experiences with the police, but the guys who've been somehow I seem to end up with the guys who've been through the court process or who are going through it, um, either deliberately because the people who are lining up the calls know I'm on shift or just by chance. But, um, you know, the phone calls I can remember, the the police who deal with this stuff now are pretty well trained and they're pretty, they care a lot. And um, certainly the prosecutor as well, when I got to that point where I was not speaking, I wasn't just speaking with the police, where I was speaking with the DPP, they were very 
good and very understanding. And um, you know, the the lady who actually prosecuted the case, she was amazing. And I didn't really have much to do with it. She was the barrister. She kind of whooshed in and and did her big stuff and whooshed out and talked talked to me very little. She talked to solicitors and you know the other people I spoke to more. But she was great. You know what she did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, I think you know that it's interesting. The the one one guy I remember very clearly telling me about his experience and that the police. You know he felt the police were great and he went through a civil matter and but he had lawyers you know lawyers who were on his side and he he was just a case you know it was interesting hearing that perspective they were he said he remember being in this room and that that were the people who were fighting for him and they were so indifferent to what his actual experience was they were just interested in the result um but thankfully for him and for me the police weren't like that and you know and so it may be that you have an initial bad experience with the guys on the desk who don't quite know how to deal with it or something, you know, like I think no one's perfect. Right. And generally I like, I probably have a fairly high regard for the police, the detectives who specialize in this stuff and who work in it are, are, are really good. Yeah. you know, At least in my experience. And I think you get a lot of empathy and a lot of care from them. Yeah. I mean, I'll never forget the detective that worked on my case. Like initially, not a great experience at the police station, but the woman detective who took over the case was amazing. And she had so much else on her plate as a major crimes detective. Yeah. Um, I remember she was supposed to come over one night, just randomly this just popped into my head, and sadly a kid at the local train station got stuck um, trying to jump the, the block or whatever and he lost his leg. Um, yeah, well, in a in a train accident, and she was like, "Sorry, I can't come tonight." And I'll, it was like, "That's okay." Like it's like yeah. obviously that's understandable. But she yeah. was really great at communicating, and you know, amongst that other immediate stress and things that she was going through, she always made me feel really, even as the as a child in this at the time, made me feel really um, heard. So I do love hearing people who have had some good experiences because I think we do highlight a lot of failures. Yeah. And I am never saying to people, don't go through the system. I'm saying, figure out what you want to do based on yeah. what, what's right for you. Yeah. But that not everybody's experience has been that horrible and yeah. that that gives you at least something to, to work with rather than just being like, I'm not going to do it. It's going to be too traumatic. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like I said, for me, it was the key. If I don't know where I would be if I hadn't done it. Um, but for other people, it might not be the key. And if you don't, I, like the one thing I will say, you know, for me I cared about protecting other kids too, right? When I did it, I had an idea that maybe I would be stopping something else happening even before that, the other cases. But um, I don't think that's my responsibility and I don't think it's your responsibility um, or any survivor's responsibility, which sounds a bit blasé maybe, but in the end you can only deal with your own trauma and you can only deal with what you can deal with. And if if you don't need to face the legal side of it and you don't want to name the perpetrator and you don't need to chase that down and it's better for you to just deal with it with a counsellor or with your family or then then do that. You've, your first priority has to be you because in the end, if you're doing something that's not fitting with what you need to heal, then it's going to be counterproductive. 100%. Um, and I think that's one thing as a survivor you have to get very good at doing is understanding what you need. Um, and I think because like what you need is sort of ripped out from underneath you and then with secrecy, you know, you don't get what you need for so long. Like I didn't get what I needed until I was 17. Right. (laughs) And I was young guys don't normally talk about it like that. Like, you know, I am just immensely proud of like Harry not even knowing him, and another guy, Brayden, who's one of the Polish man ambassadors in down in Melbourne, and and like it's like Brayden heard my story, and then he spoke up with his story, and like knowing that was the outcome is just amazing for me, you know. Just, but I'm so proud of him and what he does, and how you know active he is in speaking up. Um, like far more than I was. He probably has far more energy for it than me at a younger age than than I was when I started 
talking about it. I was 35 when I went public, you know, public. A lot of people knew about it, obviously, people close to me, but, you know, seeing the reactions of people, like people from school who went to school with me who just were like, oh, my gosh, like there was a, there was a guy who I was, you know, in year seven and eight, he really, you know, bullied me, was pretty mean to me. And then year nine and 10 and later in high school, we developed a friendship, a good friendship. And like, I've got no ill feeling towards those first, to him from those first couple of years of school because he, he kind of owned it and we, we were mates. Yeah. But I just remember when I first like started speaking up and he, he was gutted because he, you know, but also it was so nice for that to happen. Like I, I, I know that sounds a bit strange, but we hadn't caught up for years since high school. We'd sort of drifted apart as you do from your high school friends. But I remember going and he was just so gutted at, you know, even that couple of years where he was just a bit of a dickhead, right? <laughs> and he was never a bad guy. And, he, you know, it wasn't, like I said, it was never horrific bullying for me. And then people from uni, like seeing seeing people have things click into place, like they understood my behaviour and they understood my, they understood they understood me in a way that they never could have before. You know, and we're talking like 20, 20 years after, 15 years after, you know, people are like, oh, now we know why, what the last year of uni was like for you. And I was like, yeah, yeah well, that was the last year. The, the five years before that, I was still, I was making police reports and sneaking off from, you know, all those things I talked about earlier. And so there's, there's incredible benefit in speaking out because your story gets heard and understood. I'm much easier on myself as well, I think because people have been easy on me and when people when when people are easy on you you realize you realize that you can be easy on yourself and i think before i spoke out i was so much harder on myself i was so upset when i couldn't deal with things or when things were too much for me whereas now i just kind of accept that that's allowed to be you know and the people who are close to me kind of intuitively know how to make space for what i'm going through and it's really nice that's lovely <laughs> yeah and I had a really similar experience with people from my high school and stuff as well. Like, sadly, when I went public with my story, um, a lot of my friends from high school that I was no longer really mates with or very close with, they didn't reach out to me, which I kind of thought that they would have and saying like, you know, we know a little bit, but thanks for sharing. They None of them did, which was quite disappointing. But what did happen was there was a lot of people that I knew from school that I wasn't particularly good friends with or anything that were like, I never knew, or they were like, I had heard something, but I never wanted to ask. And the incredible amount of empathy that they showed me was, it was so lovely. Like I didn't go to the first reunion because I was just like, first of all, nobody cares about me. (laughs) Second of all, like, I don't want to go because Seabs, but it was like, it was so nice to, to have people who you don't even have to be that close with, but you know, at least take the time and effort to send your message and let them. Yeah let you know that they were thinking about you and stuff like that kind of act is so incredibly powerful. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And um, I mean, unfortunately there's so many people who have horrible experiences when they speak out as well. So there's two sides to everything, you know, and I've spoken to guys who on the chat line, who just chat line, whatever it is, call line, just feel so bad, badly for them and their experiences. I'm also immensely proud that they're making the calls and that they've, they're still calling out to speak to, you know, someone online. And the six, the six guys from Samson who are all victim survivors who are who are doing these calls are an incredible bunch of guys. Um, being in the same room with them is amazing. And we're all so different. And like I'm sure that, you know, we wouldn't necessarily all be friends. And the oldest is, I don't know how old he is, and the youngest is 10 years younger than me. And it it's but it's an amazing, it's an amazing bunch of guys. Yeah. Um, and a real privilege to be part of, to be part of that, and to be part of, to be trusted with, you know, and to be in a position where I can safely make calls and not be distressed. And actually, like, yeah, I don't carry the weight of those calls with me after that night. Like, you know, some of the really heavy ones in the night, I have called my supervisor after and had a bit of a chat, but, but really, I can put it down. I don't have to carry. The weight of it and that's such a nice position to be in but I think that's only because I've spoken out and so many people around me have helped me carry my weight after that that now I'm able to to do that I'm able to to, to hear other people's story, stories and and to hold space I love that term I don't know where I heard it it was 
it was only in the last year or so, but holding space is such a beautiful, a beautiful idea, you know, that you, and that's what hearing somebody else's story is. I think it's holding space for them. And then that also means though, that you don't have to, it doesn't have to be ongoing. You can hold space and you can hear and you can be empathetic and you can care and you can really care. And then you can also let them go. You know, and I had a few people when I first spoke up who also contacted me, you know, people I didn't know, people I loosely knew to talk about their experiences, which was really confronting, but also really good. But, you know, I was, I was grateful for the ability. Um, and I had the people around me telling me, you can't be responsible for these people. Like you have yeah. to hear and, and, and let them move on. Um, and so then I could just be, then I could just be, feel privileged to be a part of their story. And that my action had resulted in, in something good for them, but then also let it go. Um, and so that's a real blessing. 100%. And you said before we started recording that it was about we develop a language of healing to hold stories and allow people to have space to share it. And I think it's so right when you speak about the language and holding space that survivors specifically can do because that lived experience that we have gives us a unique skill set to be able to help other people. And I love the idea of this peer-to-peer network. You know, I started that with the Survivors of Port Network as well, because so many people aren't ready to call a crisis service, but if they can call a peer that might understand them in a different way, how much is that going to bridge the gap? And, you know, you're here as as a male survivor sharing that story. And I think that's incredible. And talking so openly about mental health and suicidal ideation and attempts and going through the justice system. And I think specifically for any men specifically, but so many people listening to this are going to resonate with that and find solace in the fact that it's okay to not be okay. And that there are things that happen that you can do to, to make yourself more okay. But that also, you know, like you're describing, you can have regressions, you can go back sometimes and you can be constantly, constantly triggered, but that you can live a life that you're okay with. I think that's the reality I've come to accept. Like I don't, I used to get so annoyed at myself when I was triggered, like so angry that, oh, you've like, you've worked at all this. You've been through this before. Like, why are you bothered by this? What, like why? But I've kind of just come to accept that life is what it is <laughs> and that I'm going to be triggered, you know, and, the, and I'll be triggered by the million other little griefs. Like there'll always be that little grief of, of not going to London, you know, not moving overseas. And that's fine. Like that's just gonna it's just gonna be there in it. You know, and like I said, I I've not, you know, managed to hold down a stable enough relationship to have a family. Um, and I don't really want to go into all that side of things. But you know, there's reasons for that. And a lot of it's, you know, my bad behavior out of my pain as well. But also I think when you're I don't want to cut I don't I want to be careful, I don't want to slight anybody here, but when you're not very well you tend to end up with people who are also struggling, yeah. you know, for whatever that is. And especially when I was younger, before my 30s, I feel like that was probably the case. I think or, I've done that as well consistently. Yeah. And I've, that's why I think I've been single now for four years. Yeah. I actually went on my first date on Thursday in like two years. Yeah, It wasn't that bad, but it was like, I think you can almost like, you know, what you were saying before about being vulnerable and being able to be spotted as vulnerable. Yeah. I think you can see that in other people and you can quickly become like codependent on somebody quite quickly when you're not in a great space. Not realizing it. Yeah. yeah. And if you're both in that space, then you're right. It just becomes a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And then if you're both not, I think, you know, there was one particular relationship in my late twenties and she had it all together and she just couldn't quite deal with everything that I had to deal with. And I like, I was incredibly hurt by it. I don't really, you know, um, hold it against her, but I think there's, that, there's a counter, right? So other relationships would implode because both of us were really grappling with big stuff and couldn't, didn't have the language or didn't have the dynamics or it wouldn't work because one person was too healthy and it wasn't normally me. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think you have to have two healthy people to have a healthy relationship. Yeah. And at some point, 
that level of equal healthiness may change, but hopefully that's at a point where there's commitment and and you work through it. But in the early stages, once you get past that initial fun bit and you've got to get into some heavy stuff, and for me, the heavy stuff was always right under the surface, it it makes it very difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't know when other things are going to trigger you or what's going to happen in your life. Like I had yeah. an experience a couple of weeks ago where I was quite badly sexually harassed by somebody. Yeah. And I, you know, a couple, like you just said, like, you know, you have a few drinks and you get quite upset. I'm not usually an emotional drinker, but, you know, I was just inconsolable that night. But like you said as well, you know, I've just come to accept sometimes that these things are the way that they are. And, you know, I wasn't aggressive or horrible to anybody, but I did cry a lot. And, yeah. you know, once the floodgates open when you're drunk, it's just all, you're, yeah. ne- you're not coming back from that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there are those things and it's difficult even when you feel sometimes like you're in a really great and healthy space to have to feel that regression sometimes or like you're healed and then you're not okay one day randomly or something yeah. really upsets you. It is incredibly upsetting and frustrating. You feel sometimes like it's not worth it or sometimes like you're a failure or like it's never going to get any better. Yeah. 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 And you just have to learn to tell yourself that it you can, it will or that it it won't be bad forever. It's that it's that constant self-talk. And it's 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 you know, it's interesting. My mum was fantastic. Like I remember we had a very volatile relationship in my teens because I think unconsciously, you know, and we work we we worked through this consciously in my late twenties together. She was great. She came to a counseling session with me. But unconsciously I heard her held her to blame for what happened. Because she was who, you know, dad was at work. It wasn't his fault, but she was there. And I mean I, I say that in, I don't think it was my mum's fault either, but the child in me held mum accountable. So we had an incredible volatile relationship because I loved my mother and I, but I had a lot of anger towards her and I was her oldest son who was clearly going through something, but before I was 17, she didn't know what it was. And so there was a lot of volatility there. Despite that, there was a lot of closeness as well. And I remember when I would speak negatively about myself, you know, as a, you know, a 14, 15 year old, she would like stop me and say, don't speak that. Like you can't, don't talk that over yourself. Don't. So I think even before I was directly dealing what was going on, my, my parents, particularly my mum would, were teaching me that language of like how to te- how to talk to yourself about who you are yeah, and not letting yourself, you know, so she didn't know what was behind that negative expression about myself but she wouldn't let it stand up and that but it's something you really have to learn and it's a it's a learned thing and I st- I'm still learning it Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, and I still fight the natural expectation that no one's going to like me. And I don't think that's a healthy, like, I don't think that's normal. And I, I think that comes from feeling dirty and ashamed and guilty for a lot of my life. Um, like no one would, you know, I think that comes from a lot of my life being no one would like me if they knew the truth, which just translates to no one's going to like me. And so yeah. now I still walk into a new situation. Like I'm supposed to be going to a party tonight. And a big part of me is like the energy. I know I'm not going to know a lot of people. And I'm pretty tired and I will come across as confident and happy, but there's that little voice in there that's saying, you're not going to fit in. People aren't going to like you. And it's like, I have, I've just had to learn to still that voice to like, to turn it. Well, not turn, you can't turn it off, but to talk back to it. Yeah. It's really like, you know, almost triggering for me that you say that because I didn't, you know, I deal with that consistently as well. And people would probably think I'm the loudest person in the room. Yeah. But I'm constantly either saying to myself, shut up, like stop, nobody wants to hear what you're saying, yeah. or everyone would prefer it if you weren't here. And yeah. I have constantly battled that feeling. Yeah. And I find that really difficult. But again, you know, it's when you're around people that you that you love and stuff that even if I don't explicitly openly say that to people. I think they can tell sometimes when I just need a little bit of positive chat. Like we're happy you're here, Maddie. Something really, like really simple, like we miss you or um, I'm so happy you're part of my life or something really simple like that in a text message. It comes across so much and it helps to dull the voice. Like people wouldn't invite me here if I if they hated me. Yeah, I need I to stop myself that. I'm like, you got an invite. Like it wasn't you didn't just turn up at this party. <laughs> yeah, you're not gate crashing. Yeah. yeah, people like asked you. But it's, yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it affects everything because, like, at work, you know, like it bothered me when I was junior and now that I'm, you know, I'm the boss to some people, right? And I try, I hate that term, but, like, I have people who I have authority over and I'm constantly like, man, they must hate me. <laughs> it's like I'm pretty sure they don't. But it's like that's still my voice, even if yeah. I've got, I know I've got a good working relationship with them. And if I get a little bit annoyed or a little bit like I lose my temper or something like that, I, I'm i just so hard on myself about it afterwards. Um, but the reality is I've had a million people who I really liked who are my bosses who lost their temper. It didn't change how I felt about them. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. But I think it's just a bit, you're you're a bit hard on yourself, I think, as well, like, and sometimes I think, yeah, like you said, sometimes you've just got things a little bit just below the surface or, you know, maybe it's just a personality type thing as well, but it is something, you know, and, I, and I'm grateful that we're talking about it because I think so many people have that feeling, like whether you're introverted or extroverted, the feeling that you have, you know, the, the things that you're saying to yourself are not things that anybody would ever say to you because yeah. they don't think them. And it's, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do want to say thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover before we wrap up? No, no, I think, um, you know, thanks for listening to me rattle on. I do just tend to have a stream of consciousness. One's like you don't have to work hard to get me talking. I, I love it though. Because I, I kept kept things secret for so long that it's just nice to get it out. <laughs> I think like the whole purpose of this platform is to let people speak in their own words and in their own ways. And if somebody's on a on a um on a streak, you know, if you're if you're letting it all out, like I I never want to get in the way of that stream of consciousness because I think that's the most raw and the best version of a story that you get often. Cause it's yeah. it's in the way that you're remembering it as well. It's in you go to this spot and you go to that spot and it's difficult to think of things chronologically and you know, I just, I love being able to be a part of helping people tell their story in whatever way they, they want to or, or do. I do have a question though. Do you mind? Um, yeah, absolutely. 
Do you mind sharing with us a little bit about what being a Polish Man ambassador is and, and a little bit more about the peer support work that you're doing? Polish Man, when I, like I said, I've been through Samson um, used to and hopefully will again with some funding, which is currently being worked on, run these eight-week courses, which I just happened to find when I was going through that first custody case. And it was like the missing piece in my recovery, actually, because I'd had so much help and so much familial support and a a great psychologist and great friends, a few years of medication, um, which thankfully it was only a few years. But I went along to this group and it was the first time I sat with a bunch of other survivors. And it was really confronting because I was so far ahead of most of them. Like a lot of them were just sharing for the first time and it was really raw. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) like I'd kind of put the raw bit down. And I've never felt the need to talk in detail, and some survivors do, and but I, I find a little bit of detail quite confronting. Yeah. Um, because I kind of I'm happy enough not to talk about the detail. Yeah. But um, but on the other hand, it was great to hear these guys talk about, you know, to have the same experience as me, like to be afraid to tell people because you're afraid that if you tell people, they're going to think you're a pedophile too. And I was like, oh, I thought that was just me, but. They all thought that. I think, I, don't, I think everyone in the group was like, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and then that was where I learned that statistically, you know, more likely. You know, it's not like it, 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 oh, what is it, there's correlation but not causation. And basically as a percentage of the population, a, a, a victim is no more likely to abuse than somebody else. You know, so some victims will also abuse, but most won't. And actually heaps of us are hyper aware, you know. Um, you know, and I was very fortunate. I had people who knew and so who like encouraged me to be comfortable around their kids. And I'd grown up around a lot of children. So I did have a level of comfort with kids, but I remember, you know, one time a couple who are, you know, ten probably ten years older than me and they had young kids and I was at their house and their kid was in the bath and he was like, come and hang out with me. And I was like standing at the door and his mother was in the room and she was like, just go and sit on the end of the bath and talk to him. I was like, oh, okay. And I did. And I was like, oh, that's all right. But I didn't know how to act. Yeah. Not because I was concerned about myself, but because I was concerned about what people would perceive or what was like, I didn't know how close I could get to her. And thankfully, like I went through that before my brother and sister had kids. By the time they had kids, I was like, like, you know, cool. I could bath them. I could dress them. I could do all of those things without any hang-ups, without any fear. Yeah. Um, but being in that group of guys and understanding that all of us had that fear and that it wasn't a fear about our own behaviour, it was a fear of people's perception. Um, and then learning those statistics as well, it was like a, it just almost evaporated, you know. And there were there were other other experiences so that 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 was like I said it was like the last piece of the puzzle like it speaking to other survivors which is why I'm so passionate about it and that's why the following year I made contact with Polish Man and said I can do more I'd done Polish Man you know and just participated but I said I can I can do more I can talk out about this um and they invited me on as an ambassador we did a little video which still goes around sometimes um you know Kylie, who was, I think she was the CEO at the time, interviewed me um, and, um, you know, I, and I went public that first year and it was it was still a fairly small time then. It had been, I think it, it was maybe its third year running. I'm not 100% sure of that. Um, but that was, you know, I, they were a great platform for me to be able to tell my story and it was really amazing. But then also I think I was able to, you know, really help other survivors. And the following year I spoke at the opening night and I was just, I'll never forget, I was so nervous and I like had a little practice with Kylie beforehand and I had written this speech but I didn't want to read it out but I was like struggling to learn it off by heart. Um, But then I kind of learned the power of just talking from where you were at because I got up there and I'd written myself the guide but once I started talking, a bit like with this podcast, I just told the story that needed to be told. 
Um, and it was an incredible experience because that room was quiet. You could hear a pin drop. And I, I just realized that people like, these people don't know me at all, but they want to hear this and they want to understand. Um, and I think that's what's so great about Polished Man is it's not, it's not trying to do anything other than platform, you know, the issue. It's raising awareness and raising funds and then they like they let other people do the 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 heavy lifting and I, but I think that's amazing that just the platform is incredible you know in those first few years I was super involved and it as I've done more things it's gotten a little bit harder to be so vocal because I'm more vocal more often and so I probably am a little bit quieter now in in every day but I'm still you know really proud of and keen to be an ambassador for that movement but also I think it's great like I'm you know I'm what 41 and the guys who are who are really speaking up at the moment are in their 20s and that actually want their their voices to be heard and I think if a 16 year old is going to relate to somebody it's not going to be to me like I'm probably better off what I'm doing with Samson at the moment now on the call line you know um, which hopefully if the funding keeps if we secure more funding, we'll continue. But, you know, I'm better off doing that than I am trying to platform through something like Polish Man, which is a kind of, it's a big thing and it's a big, I, I, I guess I feel a bit more like I have the capacity to be doing it in an ongoing fashion. But also, like, I just love watching Harry and Brayden particularly talk up and um, say what they have to say. And... Like I said, if any if a teenager is going to relate to somebody, it's going to be them before it's me. I'm, we're starting to get to the point where there's 15 year olds who have a parent my age, right? So you know, I think it's yeah, it's epic seeing it continue. Yeah, and I think as well, like don't discount the fact that you know through that Royal um, Commission into Institutionalized Child Sexual Abuse that the average time for child sexual abuse victims to come forward was like 35 to 45 years. So, okay. you know, the demographics constantly change. But I do appreciate what you're saying. I mean, Polish Man is so prevalent on like social media and stuff. And, yeah, you know, for your story to kind of begin with as well, the realisation that you weren't at fault or that you weren't culpable for something or you weren't participating in something willingly to be that kind of news based thing to have be generating information for people that they can pick up easily and potentially have the same experience but on a different platform I think is incredible for for so many people and you know I remember somebody said to me when I started this podcast you're gonna run out of stories to tell pretty quickly and it was just like that is such an ignorant thing to say because every single one of our stories might have similarities but in every way they are completely different and that's just the sad fact. So the more people that speak out, the more chance that you're going to resonate with every with more people. Like, yeah. you know, a male survivor probably won't resonate with me as much as they would with you. Somebody yeah. might not resonate with Harry as much as they would with somebody else. You know, somebody from the LGBTQ community is going to gravitate towards somebody else sharing their story. And I think yeah. the more intersectional we can get, the more support we'll be able to provide for other victim survivors who who potentially aren't coping well right now. And I and think it, Polished Man yeah. doing October and then leading into November is really great timing. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. It's that continual that continual um, telling of the story. You know, and I, I, I've got a friend who's writing a book, which my story's in it, though the name's been changed for legal reasons. Um Shannon, and it's coming out next year. And he actually wrote another book about his life called 14. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, about the year he turned 14, which is a great read, um, like brought me to tears a few times. Um, and, it, you know, I didn't really relate to it on an intensely d- directly personal level, aside from, you know, knowing it was him. Um, but he's writing this other book about his story and other survivor stories that's coming out next year that's, well, going to be well worth the read. I've read the first draft. I've actually got the second, like the final draft there to read. Um, I haven't quite brought myself to read it yet. But um, and it's it's like you say, like I think um, first I was like, oh, do I do this podcast? But 
I just think any chance to to speak out and, you know, Shannon's interviewed me and he's interviewed these other guys and I've read that book and it it puts things in a completely different light to what we've talked about today, you know, and I, and I just think there's so many different ways that people can hear and understand a story and it's just really important to be to make those available to people. So I think, like, I've got a huge amount of admiration for you doing this as a survivor yourself to be constantly platforming people and to be constantly having to, you know, I know what it's like because I'm doing it as well <laughs> in these phone calls and it, you know, and, um, but you're putting your face on it and you're, you've got this platform like there's, I can, I, I'm quite hidden, but you can be, you know, attacked, which is, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I have a lot of admiration for what you're doing. Thank you so much. It's so nice to hear. And I think, you know, we, we do it for, for the reason that we've all felt like this community that, you know, we're building and, you know, sadly the what, but I think to end like on a good note and on a very sad note together, one thing that I do feel is that most people who perpetrate crimes, especially against children have more than one victim. Yeah. But when you flip that, it's, there's more of us than them. And that means that together, the more that we band together, the more that we get this out there, the more that we remove the shame and everything, yeah. we're going to outnumber them. We're going to be able to change laws. We're going to be able to make it easier for victim survivors in different systems. Like we're the majority here. We're, if the rubber meets the road and we can do the things that we can to remove the shame and stigma that other people have done, we will outnumber them and we will win. Yeah. That's a great way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Shitty. Like it's like what I said earlier, right? It's a, it's a pretty awesome club to be in with a really shitty entry requirement. Yeah. But it, it's the same thing. It's like a shitty, a shitty kind of statistic, but yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. I think if you've got to be able to be glass half full sometimes as well in a, in a world where majority of the time we're kind of glass half empty. <laughs> Uh, if anybody, you did say, um, so Polish Man is a charity and uh, they are taking donations. Is Samson taking donations as well? Yeah, so Polish Man take donations during October. So if you, I mean, you can go to my pro, my profile if you want to want to me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, what, what is your profile? Uh, it's Polish Man. Wait a second, I'm just going to bring it up on my screen so I can go to exactly. I think it's Polish Man slash... If you look for me, Jared Grice, J-A-R-A-D, um, you can sponsor me directly um, or you can just donate to Polish Man in general during October. Um, Samson will take, you know, I think if you get in touch with Samson, they'll take um, donations whenever they can. Um, I think, you know, they're a, a different kind of organisation I mean, I should say we in some ways I'm part of it, but I'm not a spokesperson for them. Like I, I do the, do this role, I, I, I don't want to speak for them. I want to be careful about speaking for them now. It's not my role. But I know that they would take donations. They do um, receive some government funding, um, which, you know, there's always, with any of this kind of thing, there's always ins and outs of getting government funding. The pilot program for these calls was funded by a private donor. Um, wow. So... Yeah, which is incredible. I mean, actually, Craig, who started Samson, started it with his, with the funds he received, like going through the court process and getting compensation from the government. That's how Samson was started, which is incredible. You know, he took yeah. he took that compensation and started this amazing organisation. So I'm sure that they would always accept donations. I'm not 100%. I'm sure if you got in contact with them, they'd tell you how to do it. I'm not 100% yeah. across that. Um, Polish man, yeah, sponsor somebody you know who's, who's painting it now. Um, yeah. I love it. Um, and I can add the links to those in the show notes for this episode. So um, I'll be able to detail if you can uh, financially support, please do please follow those links and go and donate. Um, if you can't always just comment, like share, repost, amplify other people's stories, get the word out there. The more people you reach, the more money we'll make. Um, and I say will, I mean for victim survivors around the world yeah. and throughout diff the different community and to fund programs that will directly assist them. But thank you so much, Jared, for coming on and being so candid, so wonderful and sharing your story. Um, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, um, how can they do that to say thank you? 
Um, uh, you can put my Instagram handle up if you like. You know it. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm I, I'm open to talking to people if people if people want to get in touch. Um, like I said, I, I'm careful about it as well. But yeah. Absolutely. So, well, if anybody yeah. wants to, I can link your Instagram in the show notes as well. But yeah, if you can, please go and support either of those uh, different wonderful organisations who are doing incredible things. Um, but thank you again, Jared. And for now, this is Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Thank you again. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.